Welcome to the messages of Cornerstone Anglican Church. In this episode, Pastor Andrew unpacks scripture about the new heaven as prophesied by Isaiah and how we look at these revelations through the prism of today's scientific worldview. When you read the Bible, not everything is literal. And if you take everything as literal, you're going to have some problems. For instance, in Revelation, it talks about the woman of Babylon, whose legs stretch across the whole city. Well, I don't think that's actually meant to be taken literal, as if there is a woman who can basically have legs that cover about 20 square kilometers or something like that. And the Bible uses metaphors, and do you know something? You use metaphors. And I picked this up from C.S. Lewis's book on miracles. And he notes, we use metaphors constantly in our language discussions. For instance, when a man says that he grasps an argument, he is using a verb, the word grasp which literally means to take something by your hands. But he's certainly not thinking that he has a gun in his hands. To avoid the word grasp, he may change the form of expression and say, I see your point. But it does not mean that a pointed object has appeared in his visual field. He may take a third shot at it and say, I follow you, but he does not mean that he is walking behind you, right? So each of those statements has a literal meaning, but his use of those words is not literal at all. The truth is that if we are going to talk about things which are not perceived by the senses, so what are our senses? Taste, feel, Smell, sight, and hearing, right? Now, why are they important? Because if you look at our understanding of a materialism well, which is part of our culture and our scientific culture, which basically is based on the fact, if I can't do it with my five senses, then it's actually not real. Now, if I can't prove it by experiment and by experience, if I can't see it, then it's not a fact. It's a value. And we would like to say that, okay, some of those values are actually facts. So, for instance, who dreams? Who's had a dream recently? Prove it. Can I see it by tasting? Can I see it by hearing? Can I feel it? You got the point? So when we come to the Bible, and it talks about metaphors, It's not talking about something that's not real. Now, what is a metaphor, you might ask me? Okay, let's see. A metaphor is a noun used as a figure of speech 
in which a word or a phrase is applied to an object or action to which it is not literally applicable. So it's, a metaphor is referring to something that is not literally applicable, even though it's using words that can be applied literally. Okay, so let's come and have a look now at our reading from Isaiah. This passage has some really awesome things to say, but it has some complications as well. So God says, I see I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, for I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. Now, this is the first instance of the promise of a new earth and a new heavens in the Old Testament. It comes back again when you get to the end of the book of Revelation. Now, Ricky Patney makes the point, and he was an evangelist from the 1980s, that the Bible begins in a garden but finishes in a city, the city of Jerusalem. And the city of Jerusalem described in Revelation, the end of Revelation, is certainly not like the city of Jerusalem that we know today, nor that they knew in the days when Jerusalem was at its height. I mean, it has all these gorgeous golden roads, it has jewels everywhere, certainly not descriptive of anything that Jerusalem has ever looked like in its earthly life. And, you know, it's the only city. Sydney's not there, Brisbane's not there, New York's not there, Paris is not there, not even London's there. No, it's Jerusalem. And if you think about it, if it's going to fit all of us, it's going to be a huge place, isn't it? So the question is, should we take this literally or metaphorically? Or a bit of both? When Isaiah wrote these words, it's well into the end of his message. And it's after the nation of Israel itself, the ten tribes, had been utterly destroyed by Assyria and taken captive. They actually cleared out all the Israelites and imported people of other nations into it. And the other aspect which makes this passage a little bit more complicated, nowhere since he wrote these words have they ever yet happened. Somebody said to me, when's this going to happen? Has it happened? I said, well, my God, it hasn't actually happened. I don't know of any wolves that have actually curtailed themselves and no longer eat the lambs. And there's a whole bunch of little promises there. This is an idyllic place. And we need an idyllic place. we just got to be careful that idealism doesn't lead us too astray. Is it God speaking here? Is it a vision? Because often God will give people a vision. And even those who've had near-death experiences, who actually died, actually gone to what they describe as heaven and been resuscitated again. Every report that I can pick up 
is that heaven's such an awesome place. But sometimes that experience they have may be more a vision of what is to come in the future than something that they're actually seeing there and then. Why I say that is there was a book written some decades ago about a doctor who had died and he had gone to different levels of what he said were heaven. And he said in one of those levels there was these people creating the atomic bomb long before the atomic bomb was ever realised or done. And so God was actually giving him a vision of the future rather than a picture of heaven itself. But for most people, there are bright lights, there's peace, there's a sense of security, that heaven is just simply an awesome place. And that's what we get here in this reading. And one of the complexities with reading the Old Testament and the Jewish mindset is the sense of heaven is not there. They understand Shoal, they understand the place of the dead, so there is an existence after death, but there's not a lot of talk about heaven. And you don't really get into the discussion about heaven in the sense of we understand heaven until you get into the days of Jesus and then the New Testament writers themselves. And the heavens, I think, that are being referred to here are not heaven as heaven, but the universe. So God's saying, I'm going to make a new earth and a new universe. Now, why do I say that? If the fall had never occurred, if Adam and Eve had not eaten of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if they had not succumbed to the temptation of the serpent, which we believe is a metaphor of the devil, if they hadn't done that, then all the people who had lived since their day could not fit on this planet. You see, God always intended us to be out there in the universe. He never intended us simply to recite here on earth. And so he made the universe so huge that we can just keep growing, keep expanding, and getting out there. So when God's talking about a new earth, either he's talking about a huge earth, much huger than this, or he's talking about a universe that we can explode into the way that he always intended us to do. Till the fall. And the fall crunched things really bad. Severely crunched things. The turn to rebellion, the turn to sin, the turn away from God did things to this planet that God had never intended it to do. And we suffer because of it. And in fact, we're more fortunate than other places that suffer greater than we do on this planet. The atrocities are numerous. There's also human goodness. We're not all bad out there. 
but we actually were never intended to have the bad. That was our choice and the choice of our forebears. We make that choice. We can't say the devil made us do it. Adam and Eve couldn't say, to, well, they did say to God, the serpent made us do it. It didn't wash with God. It wasn't an excuse. They didn't have to listen to him. They didn't have to do it. I don't know what you were like when you were a teenager. I don't know whether your parents told you, I don't want you mixing with those people. They're not good for you. I know my dad did. I said, oh, dad doesn't know. Dad doesn't know. Well, dad did know. He almost got me into so much trouble that I'm glad that at the end of the day, I walked away from him. But we don't have to listen. We don't have to heed. That's our decision. Because of that, our living on this planet has restricted us in what we can do. We should have been way past Mars by now. So whatever God has got up his sleeve here, when he starts talking about new heavens and earth, it is so much greater and so much better than what we have. We're not going back to Eden in the new earth. Right? It's not like we're going to go back to the beginning of time and start it all over again. We're too mature and too grown for that. No, this new earth and its heavens are going to accommodate us in our sophisticated age. Not that I think we're that much more sophisticated than Adam and Eve, but we've learnt a few things. Now, why do we say this is a part revelation, which I think is a good thing, is because... There's a complicatedness here. So listen to the problem. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child and the one who fails to reach 100 will be considered a curse. So despite the fact that now we've got a new heaven and a new earth, people are still dying. And that's not our conception of heaven. And it's why I think we're probably right in saying this is a part revelation. God is starting to unveil what we can't see behind the scenes and not only unveil what we can't see behind the scenes because our vision is limited but what he's got up his sleeve what he actually is going to do now some of the scholars that I have been working through are wanting to say that the new earth is just simply a replenishment of this one God's just going to do things up a bit and effectively wipe out all the wars and all that, of course. But it's this planet he's fixing up. But my gut feeling is this planet will not be able to contain 
what God wants to do in the future. Now, when you hit the book of Revelation, it doesn't get any simpler. But I actually rang one of my friends who's a scholar in Revelation, and I started talking about my problems and issues that I was working through. And it was very helpful. But what was the most incredibly helpful thing he did is he started talking about heaven. And my spine tingled as he began to exude this incredible sense of the awesomeness of God's heaven for us, his place after we die. Whatever the new heavens and the new earth's about, at least heaven is for us. And what an awesome place it is. Now Jesus Christ came, the Son of the living God, took human form in the person of Jesus. And he did it because sin had to be dealt with. Sin is so deep in our being, it nobbles us constantly. It controls us at times. And even when we try not to, we do. And it had to be dealt with. And there on the cross, Jesus died for our sins. And I would like to state that he took our penalty upon himself. The judgment of God for our sins. Why do I say that? Because we are actually responsible for our sins. Can't blame anybody else. They're ours. And they have separated us from God and they have brought death into our life. And Jesus died on the cross to breach death in our life. So that when we receive Jesus Christ into our hearts, into our lives, not only does he bring to us the forgiveness of sin but he brings to us eternal life. Life that takes us beyond the grave. But not just simply to an existence beyond the grave. But an eternal life that goes beyond existence. So we're not just hanging around in shoal, waiting like everybody else. But that he's taken to his heaven that we, as his people, can enjoy God forever, worship God forever, love God forever. That's what he did for us. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you that in the midst of our walking away from you, you did not leave us. You did not forsake us. You sent your son that we could be restored back to a relationship with you. Father, we come to you today through Jesus Christ that we might have an eternal relationship with you and may serve you forever. Help us to live the life of Jesus Help us to let Jesus live his life.
through us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to hear more great messages from Pastor Andrew, check out our Facebook page or look us up on the net at cornerstone-church.com.au.